and welcome to the sixth episode of Movie Takes, the podcast with me, Daniel McFadden, and my co-host, James Crow. And uh, today we are going to be talking about the uh, 2000, um, say, dark comedy crime film um, by guy writer-director Guy Ritchie called Snatch, uh, which is his follow-up to his directorial debut, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. So, so we're class. Is it is it officially classified as a dark comedy? It okay. It, it's dark. It's a comedy. There, there is definitely some like gallows humor type stuff. I, I classify it as a dark comedy. <laughs> okay, I don't know if I the, the the dark like the darkest moment for me was when uh the crap. What's his name? the the hitman or whatever is like about to like slice open the dog to get the diamond or whatever that was, that was about as dark as that got for me yes well there, there's the dog fighting stuff but actually a little fun fact that scene was done in reference to a movie that came out the same year where the same actor tried to do the same thing with another dog which was gone in 60 seconds it's been so long since i've seen that movie it, 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 you know, in this movie, it was the big diamond, and that was the Harkies. <laughs> but no, <laughs> but I, I don't know if I'd classify it as a dart. Okay, no people okay. Di- people die, people are murdered, uh, but <laughs> they're and, and like people are basically like tortured in kind of funny ways, like funny. Funny. Okay. <laughs> well, there there are people doing bad things in funny ways. It, it, it's maybe it's like a, it's a a dark gray comedy or a medium gray comedy. A medium gray comedy. <laughs> I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> but it's very least you know. it's a, it, it is a comedic crime film. It, it, oh it, yeah. It's very often placed on lists of like the top heist movies, even though like the heist is pretty much in the first like ten minutes of the movie. <laughs> Not even that. Like it's like the first like five movies. The high, it starts with the heist, and then it, the movie is all of the things that happen after that. Not as not even as a direct result of that. It is just there are things that happen after the heist. Um. Any other movie, half the movie would have been devoted to the heist. <laughs> yes, that there would have been planning. We would have had, we would have seen like a shopping montage of them trying on uh, shopping Jewish, Jewish. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. This movie, it just gets right to it. Um, but yeah, I, I love I, I love the opening. It's a very yeah. simple, very effective way of. Not, uh, I guess. Maybe not introducing the premise, but uh, it introduces the what you're going to expect from this movie. You know, it's you have the, these characters dressed up as Hasidic Jews, and it's awesome because it's shot. You know, there's a cam- it's just camera movement moving across security screens. Yeah, that's it. You know, it, you know, it goes from one camera to another, and the the, the actual like camera shooting the movie is just hands left and right and up and down to show them you know walking around until they get to the actual room where the diamond is i wonder how much money they saved by doing that i don't know it it couldn't have been cheap to run like 
like 10 different security cameras. True. True, but like setup of like cameras and locations and stuff though. Maybe. Yeah. So. But anyway, it was, I, I thought it was a really inventive and, you know, really awesome way to start a movie and set a scene. And then of course they have the, um, you know, you have these like, you know, fake Jewish characters that are having the discussion about the, the validity of the, of the Christian religion, <laughs> basically. <laughs> but um, one thing about this movie is um, the, you know, looking at the old, older reviews and stuff, it had a lot of criticism for being similar to other movies. Primarily it basically just having just completely like copied shots and plot points from his previous film, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Yeah. Uh, but also, like, you know, Reservoir Dogs, and just in general, it's very, very heavily influenced by Tarantino films. Um, well, structure-wise, it felt inspired by um, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, well, it's... Uh, a movie it, I, det- I detest. I, I, hate, uh, I hate that movie. Well, anyway. you know, it's, it is kind of a... I really don't know how common this kind of storytelling was at that point. I, I know it's something that Tarantino popularized, but that having these multiple like subplots that all kind of interweave and eventually come together, you know, towards the end. But even so, like you have, you know, scenes like the, the car crash scenes. Yeah, where, that, 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 that's the clo- I think that's the closest where they all came together. Yeah, was, you know, people are just literally passing by each other and that sort of thing. I, I really enjoy it. Uh, oh no, I, yeah, I, th- I think that might have might have been my favorite sequence of the, en- the entire movie. Yeah, yeah, I mean that that's that type of storytelling is I really enjoy, um, and it's I oh, feel yeah. like at least to that extent the writing was enjoyable and I in well done you know there's a lot of problems with the writing and you know the story and the, the overall story but just I was really satisfied with the way everything kind of like the way the different storylines interacted and kind of came together and whatnot no like my favorite thing about this movie was the structure and the editing of it those, those were my favorite things about it like like I said that the the, the the car crash sequence from the, from that point through to uh, the bar scene where the hitman's trying to kill Boris in the hallway. It's my favorite, like, ten minutes of the movie. Um, yeah. It, and I think, you know, a lot of that is the the background that Guy Ritchie came from was that, was, like, basically commercials and music videos. And yeah. what I, you know, this is his second full-length film, Um and what you see a lot of, you know, and what I'm seeing based on my professional experience is you're seeing it heavily influence of having to deal with short, like very short, you know, pieces. You know, you're having the 30 second commercials or, you know, five minute music videos and having to tell a story really fast. So what you end up with are these 10 minute segments that are really, really tightly edited and thought out. But they are, I, they're not, you know, it's basically a series of smaller segments, you know, more so than you see in a lot of, you know, larger films. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I can see that. Um, and, and 
music videos, like it, it, it's edited to to pop out at people to catch your attention. Like uh, when the hitman says, "Clearly, your guns have replica on the side of them," and then it just bam, bam, bam. Go, go, go! The camera like pans across replica across the barrel of the gun. He goes, and my my gun has Desert Eagle on it. Bam, 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 and stuff stuff like that. I really I really liked. And my favorite my my favorite editing sequence in the entire movie is when he edited the showing how um uh Dennis Farina's character um uh, cousin Ivy. Like when when he's leaving the U.S. to go to to London and back again, like plane, take sleeping pills, land. Yeah, uh, you know I, I was gonna actually bring that up. The 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 quick cuts to like the side of the gun and that that part was super super reminiscent of like Edgar Wright. You know the, those little mini montages. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're, you're definitely right about that. Which I mean, it almost makes you wonder if there's so if I wonder if maybe he was influenced by that in some degree, or if it's just something that is kind of a trend among you know those. Well, well, well these movies came out before Edgar Wright's movie, so he, yeah, maybe Edgar Wright was inspired by Guy Ritchie. Yeah, see, I don't know if that was the case, or if it's just something that was maybe a trend of some sort within the cult British filmmaker type stuff. I I, I don't I don't really know, but it's. Really, I really, I really like those, especially the, in a, especially the repetitive use of, you know, the, um, was it um, cousin Ivy? Like, you know, when he's, I'm going to, the, to the UK. I'm going back. It's, it, especially, you know, after he accidentally kills the his, uh, the person he's with in that one scene. <laughs> And then, of course, at the very end, it's you know you have that it, they use that that quick montage to you know almost give that sense of the story you know the story keeps on moving kind of thing. Yeah. Do you have anything to claim? Yeah. Don't go to England. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I also loved cousin Ivy because he's played by like I said, um, Dennis Farina, who played the father of. Nick on New Girl, which is one of my favorite comedies. And he, he actually uh, passed away two years ago. So, um, what did you think about the the fact that the movie, you know, after the the really cool you know opening with the security cameras, you basically get introduced to all the characters with their in movie name through title cards. Yeah, no, it, it, it's 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 a good way. Um, especially I guess with 21st century audiences uh, to try to cement names with characters quickly and efficiently because I'm horrible with names. Like right now, I mean, I watched this movie last night. I can't, I, I still can't tell you certain characters, nickname, names slash nicknames. Well, I still it, can't. Especially for, it, say, especially for this movie, it's, I think it was a really, really smart decision because and, you know, like you said, there's so many characters, you know, yeah. and, and they're they have unique but generic names. 
you know, it's you have you know Benicio del Toro plays a character named Frankie Four Fingers. You know, yeah. You know, there's there's Bullet Tooth Tony. You know, Mickey O'Neill. You know, Boris the Blade, Turkish Bricktop, Doug the Head, Vinny and Saul. <laughs> you know, it's they're you know unique but generic <laughs> names. Yeah, but I did I did like that way. I did like the way they they tried to do that because it, it pops out, it grabs your attention, and you can quickly tr- associate a name to a face, even though it doesn't work for me because I'm just horrible with names. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I did like that. I thought it was a very good. Do you like movies that where the the protagonist is narrating the movie, like it's, like this? It's depends on the on the film i like sometimes it it works really well sometimes it it doesn't it's just it's how to use in this film i I felt like it was just there enough that it didn't detract it more often than not i felt like it was a positive yeah i think i think it worked here uh because the stuff jason stadium's character is saying in his model or his voiceover is stuff that's not being mentioned in normal dialogue between characters. Cause I hate it in movies where movies opens with the protagonist explaining his world with a voiceover. And the stuff he mentions is, is then later said by characters more, at least once or twice between each other. Yeah. Oh, so it becomes it- repetitive. And it's not just straight narration. It's it's pretty much, yeah. it's his thoughts. You know, it, it's he's not always there, but it's uh, maybe like it's his thoughts as he's learning about what happened. For yeah. example, during the uh, when Mickey and the um, the boxer fight uh, um, when you when you first meet Brad Pitt's character, you know, after he, um, Brad Pitt knocks him out, he's talking about I think it's Thomas and how. Thomas better be praying because if the if the um, guy that Brad Pitt knocked out doesn't get up, then it's gonna be <laughs> a lot easier for them to kill him and bury two bodies, than explain why there's a dead man on their in their camp. Yeah, you know, it felt it still felt like just thoughts in his head, you know, rather than just a straight narration. Yeah, me. yeah, you're you're right, but still he. I think there there were points where he was acting just as the narrator in some certain sequences, and it, it worked here because it wasn't information that was being parroted two scenes later <laughs> by someone else. So. I, I especially enjoyed it during the you know the Brad Pitt scenes, how he's basically commenting commenting on the fact that you can't understand a single thing that Brad Pitt's really saying without subtitles on, which is very intentional. Yeah, it is. Uh, the 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 is actually was a choice made by Guy Ritchie because a Brad Pitt couldn't do a a proper accent, mm-hmm. uh, but also because with Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, the um, uh, one of the main criticisms that was thrown at it was that we can't understand anything anyone's saying because it has, there were such thick accents in it. So he decided to basically like have Brad Pitt be this intelligible person to um, kind of parody that in a way. 
Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah, I, I, I had to have, um, the, I had to have the, the subtitles on, but it sucked since I watched it on crackle, like every, and there's commercials and sometimes it would come back from commercial with the subtitles properly aligned with dialogue. But sometimes it would come back where the subtitles were like three seconds behind. Yeah. Things that on the screen. Yeah. I'll, honestly, it's the first time I've ever been ho- like I've been waiting and anticipating a commercial break in a video just because I would hope that it would fix the subtitles. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you had the same problem because <laughs> like this is stupid. So like, unless they intentionally wanted us to be frustrated with what uh. <laughs> what he was saying. Yeah, maybe like um, using subtitles with a Brad Pitt's line was considered cheating by somebody. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're still going to make you work for it. So, you know, I, I mentioned that there are some criticisms with the the fact that it's very, you know, it's very reminiscent of a lot of other films, but another one of the uh, um, criticisms with was that the film was too violent, which I, I thought was weird because it, it never really f- felt too violent to be. No, I mean, and really the most violent it got was during the boxing scenes. Really? I guess. I mean, there were some like after shots of like, like there was a scene where they go into the, the, the dog fighting thing. And there's like the there's an overhead shot of a dog that has been killed by another dog. That was like the only thing that was kind of uh, to me. I think but, I, I missed that shot. But I, I don't think that anyone was ever actually killed on screen in this movie. Um, like Benicio del Toro was killed off screen. Um, the, twenty minutes. Twenty minutes in to a movie where he was the lead credit or yeah. top bill. He was top, which I, uh, I thought was pretty amusing. I love it when, I love when that happens. Yeah. But like, I don't know. I just found it really odd that the main criticism is the violence. I, I, I almost feel like they were just like, you know, leveling some of the same criticisms they do at every Tarantino movie towards this one. Maybe, maybe, um, yeah, I don't think it was particularly – it's mostly all implied violence. Um, yeah, yeah. But I get like – was this rated R? I assume so. As many times they dropped the F-bomb. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I would say definitely rated R because that, that was actually another criticism is the, the liberal usage of, of the F-word in the movie. But – which, I mean, that's a discussion for another day, giving ratings based off curse words and not <laughs> But, um... What do you think of the storyline with um, the, the pawn shop owner that were sent to rob um, um, Freaky Four Fingers? I, it, I felt like that was the most um, believable storyline in the entire movie. <laughs> Yeah, I think that was that was probably my favorite. Like, other than the stuff with Mickey, that was probably my favorite part of the movie. I, I really liked um, was it Trevor, the, the driver. 
<laughs> who's like the only competent person of that crew. Yeah, he's the one that 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 that, that, that knocks out Freddie Borfingers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, so wait, when they were trying to escape the bookie shop, were they were they pushing? And they should have been pulling on the door. Was yes. That- yes. Okay. All right. Okay. They thought, they thought they were sure. So okay. Right. So um, the pawn shop owner is uh, a guy named Lenny James, and I, he he's been in a bunch of like stuff, especially since this movie came out. No, he but, like you know he was in um, Jericho on CBS. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I most strongly associate him with. But he's been a, yeah. he's one of those people that he's in on tons of stuff, and you see him and be like, oh, it's that guy, um, but. Actually, apparently, like, there was a lot of, you know, their stuff was very slapsticky, but apparently that extended to some degree to uh, the actual filming. Um, then the, there's the scene with the, uh, in the bookies where he shoots a hole in the, the divider to point the gun at the the cashier lady. Yeah. Because his partner is stuck in the divider, which is raised up. And so he's trying to get her to put it down. And so he shoots a hole in the um, the divider, but apparently while it when he actually did that, the um, recoil, the gun recoiled and hit him directly in the ball. The groin, yeah. And that that shot is actually used in the filming of the movie. And you like? No, I I, I love the woman who was behind the counter. I really liked her. <laughs> I loved her delivery on on her lens. All bats are off <laughs> yeah <laughs> like she wasn't scared at all for whatever reason yeah um but yeah i really like and then of course when whenever they you know after trevor points out that they were pushing instead of pulling the door they get in the car and speed off and trevor sees you know frankie Fourfeeders fingers getting out of the his van which he backed into his van and blocked and locked him in <laughs> <laughs> I thought for, I thought he had been like knocked out when he, they first crashed into it. No, when he backed the car in, he kept the he knocked the he like basically blocked the doors from being able to open. Yo, yeah, I know that, but I, I also yeah. thought he'd been knocked out from the, the impact. But um, it's kind of silly as a lot of their stuff was. I really enjoyed it. But uh, I, I I do think my favorite sequence in the movie was when the hitman's trying to kill Boris in the hallway and he shoots him like, I don't know how many times. And uh, like, he has to reload and stuff just to shoot him. But um, like Boris being car, I'm pretty sure Boris got shot in the face too, (laughs) but somehow survived. Um, Yeah. He actually like ran out of bullets. Um, He, he, he goes to shoot. Um, Trevor, who's laying in the hallway, and he points his gun down, pulls the trigger, and he's out of bullets. And he's just—I think he says like something along the lines you, of "You, you, 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 you like yes, yeah, like yeah." So, what did you think of the um, subplot? With, well, I guess it was, it's almost the main plot, but the subplot with the—I'm uh, um, not sure the, the proper term, but you know—they refer to him as the Pikes. Oh, their their secret plan to take down um, what's his face? Yeah, but it was nice because we didn't know about it until it happened. Uh, it was or it was in the background for us not to really 
pay attention to. Um, like, <laughs> but uh, the, the, the his Brad Pitt's Mickey's obsession with getting a new caravan. <laughs> yeah. uh, in uh, periwinkle blue. We, we and like <laughs> uh, Jason Statham and Tommy, like they were the ones that wanted a caravan, and then it turned into uh, Brad Pitt's character wanting a caravan. Um, wait, who? Who was the who was the the head bad guy? What was his name? Brick top, was that it? Brick top. Yeah, um, he was cool. Uh, but like his, he he liked to feed his victims the pigs. <laughs> the preferred number is sixteen. Uh, like he he had it down to a math. Like they consume a human body in X amount of seconds. So, but. No, I'm rambling. Um, yeah. uh, with the, you know, the Bat Red Pit crew thing, one thing I thought was really cool about it is, you know, you have this group of people that's very much disliked, you know, like not just in the movie, like in just kind of larger society, you know, in Europe, you have like the, the travelers and stuff, um, which I think maybe the, the non pejorative term for them, but, um, you have those type of people which are very you know heavily looked down on and in the movie they end up being like kind of the most level-headed sane people in a way they got the crap together yeah they like they're the only ones that really have have it together and you know you have all these people that are just kind of scrambling to and just doing stumbling, just dumb, stumbling over themselves dude. yeah yeah, yeah. And, you know and they are like he obviously you know he does he and he doesn't throw the match like he's supposed to, and that's kind of, and that ends up getting his mother killed. But yeah. instead of going nuts and doing something really stupid, you know, like everyone else is doing, they just come out with a you know planned out, you know, you know way of just getting direct revenge on the people that are responsible. And then never, then we never see them again. Yes. Like the very next scene is uh, Jason, or Turkish and Tommy showing up at their camp and they're gone. And uh, the FBI, not the FBI, whatever authorities there are in London um, showing up. So. Um, what did you think of the, all the, like basically the dog subplot? <laughs> like, like I said, the, the darkest moment in the entire movie for me was Seeing uh, Vinny try wanting to slice open, and, and, and Vinny didn't even want to do it. it like he's like, "What? I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. What are you, what are you talking about?" <laughs> I, I was really, really like legitimately cracking up when um, the when all of that kind of goes down. Whenever you know, he basically decides he's um, he, right as he goes to cut, you know cut the dog open. I guess Vinny. Um, who who has the dog that he got from trading with the uh, with the um, the travelers? Uh, basically, gets up in between 
him and the dog and tries to protect him and stuff. And he has the diamond. He pulls it out of his underwear. But everyone just starts freaking out. And the dog starts biting people, like chasing people and biting people. And he actually apparently, like, the dog actually legitimately bit, you know, again, Lenny James, you know, who has already had his um, fun bits injured once. The dog apparently bit him in the genitals, <laughs> like, in real life. Oh, God. Oh, oh. but... But I, I do love the idea of this hitman. Like, I'm, I'm not gonna. I, I, I really don't want to harm this dog, and I don't think the viewers in the theater want me to either. So, w- would you say the, um, the end of this movie could be referred to as a bit of a, a, a Deus Sex dogma? Deus Ex. That does it. This machina. No, Dogoba. Because the dog grabs the, the diamond and runs off and shows up with uh, Jason. Shows up at the at the camp with Jason Statham and Thomas. Well, apparently the, the, the camp and where the dog had been were really close together. That, that's the impression I got. No, the, so. the, no see, the, the travelers have the dog and they... Um, they like, I guess, train them to come back or something, because um, they throw the dogs in with all their their bartering for some reason, and um, so the dog just came back to the camp like he was supposed to be trained to do, but it just so happened that you know Jason Statham and Thomas were there, and the cops show up and they their excuse for why they're there is they were taking their dog for a walk, yeah. so they take the dog with yeah. them, and. Um, the dog ends up having they take him to the vet because the dog has swallowed a squeak toy which is was hilarious yeah I was like I, I watched the dude I was like really? <laughs> what? <laughs> and so they, they take him to the vet and the vet finds the, the diamond and the squeak toy and that's how the movie ends I, I would never no no it, it ends with well um, you know they tell Cousin Avi, like yeah, oh, I know, yeah. I know, I might know a guy. <laughs> Sleeping pill, plane, London, stamp on the passport. At the end. I yeah. liked that. Yes. I like yeah, that. Great. I like that ending. I really did. But yeah, I like as we've talked about it. I think I've liked it more than I originally did. So, um, so yeah, I liked it. Um, don't know when I'll watch it again. Uh, with proper subtitles. Yeah. Um, um, did you like it enough to that you may want to check out uh, uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels? Um, I don't know. Since everything I've seen is like, oh, it's a lot alike. So, see, way back back in the pre-Netflix streaming days, uh, my wife and I decided like we really like heist movies. So we started, we watched Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch, like probably, like we rented the first one, sent it back to Netflix, got Snatch back in. Um, And I was thinking about watching both of them since we were doing this, but I was afraid they were going to blend together too much and I was going to (laughs) get confused. No, but uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, I remember for years i would visit my grandma's house where my cousin lived with her lived with her and in his room there was always a copy of 
the VHS of Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. So, see, for me, it was that video at the video store that I never rented. That I, <laughs> I saw, I saw it every time, but for some, you know, at you know, at that point in my you know, youth, it just was never looked appealing. Yeah, like I'd rather watch this than watch like um. Crap! What's the the movie that has got a sequel in the last couple of years that has William Defoe in it? Boondock Saints. It it it, it reminded me of the good version of Boondock Saints. I hated Boondock Saints. It was a terrible movie. You can't argue okay. with that logic, Daniel. Can't. That's straight up fact. Movies I would recommend after seeing. Snatch is uh, if you're Jason Statham fan, uh, the bank job, which came out I believe maybe 2008 something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think it was 2008. But um, but it's another movie where uh, Jason Statham plays a character who's who's just not just, you know he, he he guy who robs banks. He's not a kung fu master or anything. I think the most violent thing he does in that movie is throw a brick at someone. Uh, like I, I prefer Jason Statham movies where he's just playing basically an, a normal guy. I don't like I don't like the movies where he's just he's the action star or anything like that. Um, also, the Sherlock Holmes movies, also directed by Guy Ritchie. Um, the, the, yeah, you can you can see where the the editing in this movie is very very similar to where. Guy Ritchie goes in his other movies, specifically um, it, it, Sherlock Holmes. It's very quick, very dynamic, very it, in your face. It's in, definitely a more you know, evolved version of the style that he presents here. With, yeah. With a little more... Um, Finesse, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, and you know, part of what I, I really like this film is just it's it is a very stylish very like it's a very specific you know the movie it's a very stylish type of movie um yeah it has the it has a really to me it has a really good vibe to it throughout it and mm-hmm. so what it the movie that i was reminded of was actually um inside man um i haven't seen that i've only seen that once but i, I need to see that again it was good yeah, you know, which you know, the it's basically I think it's it's a Spike Lee movie, um, which with it's just one of Spike Lee's like normal movies, I guess. <laughs> no. but, but it's it just has just such a really awesome vibe, uh, in part because they use the uh, like the Bollywood type music, especially for the intro. It, it just it it's just one of those things that shouldn't work, but it does, and it has oh, a they, they use Bollywood music. Yeah, on, in, on Inside Man. Yeah, but do you do you not remember this? But it it just has such a really cool vibe, and it's it, you know it. I I just really I always really enjoyed watching that movie. I need to see it again. It's been years since I've seen it, but I do remember liking that. So. Yeah, I, w- I would recommend the bank job and the Sherlock Holmes movies. Cool. So, um, overall, 
would you would you recommend this film sure yeah i mean like like i said as we've been talking about it i think i've enjoyed it i think i liked it more than i did when i was watching it but also <laughs> i kind of got interrupted in the middle of the movie to talk to matt on the phone so <laughs> so yeah and of course i mean i you know, i I recommended the movie, so I'm I'm gonna say that I would recommend it to other people. I you know, I think all of the like Guy Ritchie, you know, he's not necessarily the best director, but he's a stylish enough director that he's worth checking out. And I think that if you like any, you know, if you like his style, if if you if your kind of preferences mesh with it, I think you're kind of like pretty much any of the stuff he's made to some degree. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I think Snatch is probably you know up there pretty high as far as the films that he's made that I enjoy. Um, and I would I think it's been awesome to watch it, but I think here in the next week or so I'm going to watch uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels just to kind of get a better yeah. reference point. But anyway, um, I think that wraps it up. So um, if y'all want to contact us. Send us an email to movietakespod at gmail.com. Um, or um, you know, hit look us up on Facebook um, or hit, um, hit um, on Twitter. It's um, at movietakespod. I'm on Twitter at Daniel, Mc, just at Daniel McFadden, one word. My name, last name is M-C-F-A-D-I-N. And I'm at Kroski. And, uh, and for our next movie, we'll be uh, reviewing... Uh, the Edgar Wright movie, uh, The World's End, which is the third movie in the Cornetto, right? Cornetto trilogy? Is that, is that it? It's some kind of tasty, like ice cream treat, I believe, or something like that. <laughs> if you if you listen to us, you know, hey, just uh, um. Share it on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, say you just say you, you you've mildly enjoyed listening to us, or uh, we could do better, or we're just a bunch of piece of craps just talking into a microphone. Uh, <laughs> or you can tell us all of that. <laughs> Download us on iTunes too. So yes, we need some of those. Go do that. All right. Um, so be back next week with uh, the world's end and Tuesday with a something. <laughs> <laughs>